0: You're listening to The After Session with Philip Lewis. I'm a therapist based in Washington, D.C., and I hope to provide my perspective on work done throughout the therapeutic process. Thanks for listening. We're back. My next guest I've been working with...
1: How long have we been working together? Uh, I think since October, November.
0: Okay. Quite a few months. Okay, for a few months. Um, Who has also uh, had the, I'm assuming, benefit of of working with psilocybin and in between, um, our sessions we did just so you all know, we did a few, um, sessions with regular psychoanalytic therapy, um, some EMDR and just some integration overall about, you know, regarding his process and, uh, his experience. So my first question to you is what was the most significant determining factor for one trying psychedelics and then two getting into therapy?
1: Yeah. So, um, I'll take, uh, I guess I could take either either one of them first. Uh, I think the determining factor was, um, just analyzing, uh, some of the problems in uh, some of my relationships, friendships, roommates, my girlfriend, uh, realizing some of the, the, the patterns, the social patterns that I was having with them. Uh, so for example, um, type person that if someone critiques me on something, I get defensive. Mm-hmm. I used to get defensive and I used to attack people, you know, all the time. If someone would say that I left the chips out on the counter, you know, it would always turn into like, well, you do this and this and this and this. And, you know, after the first few set of people, I, I thought that, you know, maybe it was just them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not me. It's, it's just other people. And then, uh, I guess the determining factor was that um, I moved in with my girlfriend about a year ago and I realized that while well, I was still doing that so all the other people were were different but the common denominator stayed the same and it was always something it it, it seemed like it was something that you know I was doing wrong or it was something that you know I needed to realize about myself mm-hmm. that there was this yeah, anxiety there was this defense mechanism and Um, that was really contributing to a lot of, uh, the fragile relationships that, that I was having. So I got into both therapy and psychedelics, um, because, you know, I wanted to help, uh, improve my relationships with, with other people. I wanted to stop getting so defensive. I wanted to learn why I was getting so defensive. Uh, I wanted to not get so worked up and amped every time that someone, came then complained that I left the chips out on the counter Mm -hmm. you know something something small like that so I think it was that realization and along with noticing that just wanting to find out ways where where I can improve myself Um, so went into therapy and that's when I learned I knew a little bit about psychedelics but I learned a little bit more about psychedelics while in therapy and you know I that's where I wanted to to make my change if you don't mind me asking
0: mm-hmm. um what do you think was the root of it or did it help you understand what the root of your anxiety might have been
1: psychedelics i don't know that's a that's a good question i don't know though the, the root of my uh anxiety um m- maybe has to do with this uh maybe it has to do with an idea of you know c- control one thing um i would say that one thing i didn't like about um, psychedelics was that uh, while going through the psychedelic process was that it completely controlled me mm. and I really don't like when someone else is, is trying to control me You're trying to dictate my habits and I have no power or against that or influence in trying to you know make the decision for, for, for myself so I guess with the whole chips things I, I, I may have perceived it as you know I did it. And now someone is dictating my actions to go do something to, to go tell me to go put them away. Mm. Okay. So in the psychedelic
0: process, did you struggle a lot with uh, submitting or allowing it? Cause it's you, right? It's not yeah. me for those mm-hmm. listening. I don't do anything, but provide a supportive space and I'm there to help when things get difficult. So it's really like what comes from the journey or the intent you've set. So, if um, not submitting, I don't know another word, but if uh, not having the control concept came up in the psychedelics or with taking psilocybin, um, I'm assuming it was beneficial.
1: Yeah, I would say I would definitely say the the after effects of at least my second treatment mm-hmm. was was uh, beneficial in that regards. Uh, I remember the first half of my second treatment. Um, I was really struggling, um, and I remember, I remember the first half. All I was thinking about was trying to ground myself mm-hmm. because I didn't want to let complete loose. I wouldn't allow myself to completely let loose and have this thing take over me, and you know, have me enjoy uh, the the experience. Um, so for the first half, uh, it was just me fighting against that, mm-hmm. and then eventually, um, I remember I I, I took the. The, uh, the blindfolders. blindfolders off, and I just sat there. I took the music off, and I just looked around the room, and I just wanted to experience it, and and I just let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that experience one hundred percent, I guess, cured me of not wanting feel like something else is controlling me or not, mm-hmm. but I will say that I'm, I'm more open to it now. Mm-hmm. So if I were to take another round of psilocybin, I think I will be a lot more open to it mm-hmm. than I was before. Mm-hmm. And how's
0: the aspect of control or not having control impact your daily life now outside of the session?
1: Well, I think I think this relates to a lot of the how I view just anxiety in general now post psilocybin Mm -hmm. which is um that there's just a lot of things that i just let go now it's Mm -hmm. it's it's there it happens i have no control over it and it's really easy for me to just brush it off what is the difference between the person you are now and the person you were before your psilocybin session yeah i think i think now i'm more i'm more comfortable with with myself um and in a lot of different settings and a lot of uh, different regards. Um, and when it comes to my hobbies, mm-hmm. you know, some hobbies, you know, I'm not afraid to talking about that. I'm, I, I play video games a lot. That's what I do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's not something that, you know, you, you talk about most people care about, you know, when you're done with work, you're either working on work or you're doing something more productive, like working out at stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think before, you know, I might've been a little bit hesitant on that, but now it, I don't care anymore. You know, um, I think another thing is if I'm going out in social settings, you know, before I had a lot of social anxiety, you know, if I didn't have something in my hand, you know, I'm constantly thinking about my next move, my next, my next action. Um, I went to, to visit my friend and we were hanging out at the bar. He stepped away for about 10 or 15 minutes. And I remember, um, that I I was in my zone. I was relaxed. It was normal. It, I didn't care if people were looking at me. I didn't care if I looked weird or not. It was, I'm here and I'm experiencing this. And whereas if that would have happened before psilocybin, you know, I would constantly be looking out the, around the room. I would maybe get another drink just for the sake of having the drink in my hand. Mm-hmm. Um, I would go maybe outside. I would go find another area just to find some comfort. But you know, a few weeks ago, I just really didn't care. So I definitely think that that comfort in my in, in my own shoes uh, is definitely a, a huge difference uh, now compared to then. Do you mind describing what your one or both of your experiences were like? Um, yeah, uh, I I just a little bit of my second one, but I can go into a little bit of yeah, see what uh, to feel, what the experience, if whatever you're comfortable playing. with. Yeah. Um. So the first one was was kind of interesting. Um, I, I. I really felt like the the music that I was listening to was was my actual environment. Mm-hmm. Um, so I convinced myself that I was in some village and someone was around me banging a drum and, um, singing in my ear the entire time. And I was in this, uh, this, this whisk chair and he was around singing me the, the, the entire time. Um, and I kept on seeing that image over and over in my head. Um, and that was, probably a good, a good part of it. I guess that was just me trying to get used to the, the situation. But then as I started opening up a little bit more, um, I think I started seeing more of, um, I I started thinking more about, um, my life now compared to how I wanted my life. So I would, Mm -hmm. I, I, I would see myself, um, in this apartment building, Mm -hmm. top floor, penthouse view, um, ceiling is made of glass. Windows all around. There's no wall walls except for the inside, uh, separating the rooms and stuff. And I'm laying down on the couch, just relaxing. And it's a gorgeous apartment. And all I kept on thinking about was, you know, this is my next move. Mm -hmm. This is my next move. Find a place where I'm I'm comfortable being in. I'm proud to to live in. And you know, I I need to work 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 up to that. Mm -hmm. So I think a, a large part of my first experience was trying to figure out, um, where, where I am now, where I want to get to and how I want to get to that. Um, but it was also a lot about learning more about, um, myself. I don't think I realized so much, uh, about this before that, before psilocybin, but, um, I am, uh, I'm a huge introvert. I love staying in my house. I love recharging, uh, away from people. I understand that when I go, go out, um, to, in, in social settings, my battery de- depletes quickly. And before I just thought that maybe I'm just a really tired person. You know, I never put two and two together before, but now, but after the first session, I was like, you no, know, I, I find a lot of comfort in my home. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the other part about the, the apartment, uh, situation mm-hmm. was because, um, when I thought about comfort during the entire time, I always came back to the apartment. I always came back and I was alone too. Um, and I, it, it was a way for me to, it, it was the environment that I needed to be in in order to, to recharge. And I always looked at this in comfort and, and it relaxed me during the entire time. Mm-hmm. So a large part of that first experience was learning about um, who I was, um, what I wanted to do, how I wanted to get there. Uh, And I would say the last part about my first session, um, I started thinking more about, um, my, uh, my parents, what they mean to me, um, what some of the things they, that they used to do for me while, while growing up, some of the things that I didn't appreciate them for. Um, and, and I took, uh, I guess the last, the, the last third of it was, just thinking about all the different things that my father would do, my mother would do, how they, how they showed love and appreciation for me. Um, And I think one of the benefits of actually going through the first session was, um, uh, was that realization and how much that I, I love my parents. And um, I know for me, I'm also the type that um, I really don't have a strong relationship with, with my parents, but this made me realize that, you know, Maybe I should take, you know, another, maybe I should take a step and, you know, reach out to them more. So talking to them more because they live miles away from me. They don't live near me anymore. Um, so I, I think it was, I, I think it was good in that sense, uh, because that was also part of the reason why I came in was relationships, right. And connecting so. I think the other benefit of this was, you know, one of the things that can help me strengthen my relationships with people, uh, particularly my, my parents in this case is to realize some of the things that people do to me instead of just ignore them and just go on and not appreciate things. So generally the way,
0: um, I offer the sessions of the service is, uh, for three, right? So we do one, take some time, work together for a bit second do some more integrations more you know discussing what came up and how you apply these concepts or these ideas that showed up in your session in your regular daily life and then do the third and maybe final on the session but you stopped at two You mm-hmm. mind sharing why um and and I'll say that that's not uh foreign or that's not something that's negative I'm just wanting to hear from, um, someone, uh, their perspective. Cause I've had quite a few and I think I told you, I may only have one person I've worked with who's done all three. Mm-hmm. Um, most people, some people stopped at one, most have stopped at two and are, are just like, Oh, I'm good. But I've never really, uh, gotten clarity on what the I'm good means and how do we make that determining or that determination that, you know, this is something that, uh, is no longer necessary.
1: I think, I think for me, I'm, I'm not opposed to, th- to three. Mm-hmm. And if something later comes down the line where I believe that maybe I might need another one, then I'll certainly be open to it. Um, I think my answer is that I think it, it's, I think it's the same as, as the, the other people whom you, whom you've, uh, treated it. I think two is good enough. And I think what I mean by that is I have this belief that maybe a third might be marginally better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it can't get any
0: better than this. Uh, I, not that that's a bad thing. I just love hearing that that might be what you're thinking. I, I th- think, I, th- I think
1: it, I think it might be. And, um, I, I think one thing I, that I want to be clear on is that I, I still have anxiety, mm-hmm. but I think that, um, I think that the important distinction between my anxiety now and the anxiety before is that I, I I would say that my anxiety now is rather reasonable. Mm -hmm. You know, I get anxiety when I'm, when I haven't driven a car in three months and I'm driving on the highway and there's traffic and I'm worried about all the cars, Mm -hmm. you know, trying to hit me. Mm -hmm. Those are reasonable reasons to be anxious about. Right. Whereas before it, it could have been anything, you know, it could have been getting late to work. It could have been doing all these different things. Like it it, it, it could have been anything. Um, so I think that for me, the answer is that I am happy with myself after two.
0: Nice, nice. Oh, I don't know if you remember, um, but it just jogged my memory that when we first met, you came in and you were very adamant about um, not wanting to experience anxiety anymore. And I remember looking at you and saying anxiety is my superpower. Mm-hmm. I don't know <laughs> what I would do <laughs> if I didn't have my anxiety. And um, and we just kind of like, and that was a hump we had to get get over because my concept or my style was, you know, this these emotions aren't going anywhere. They're here to teach us something. Yeah. They're here to show us things that, mm-hmm. for me, it keeps me emotionally and physically safe when my anxiety pops up. So um, now looking back at it, if you do remember that conversation does that make sense there? Do you kind of agree or do you understand why I was just like, nah, we're not getting rid of your anxiety. We're just
1: making it something you can embrace. No, I, I, I do. And I think another important thing, at least for me, with with the anxiety that I still have, have now is that, um, I'm, I'm, I'm recalling a, a time uh, a few weeks ago where, where I had an interview and I got, you know, anxiety from it because I did something that I, I didn't want to do. So that anxiety for me uh, sort of serves as a reminder to go with my gut, right? Mm-hmm. So the situation was um, I was getting ready for it for an interview. Uh, I was encouraged to reach out to someone to, to practice for the interview because that person is uh, – it is a part of the, the the job that I applied for. Um, the person has been on the, the hiring board before is familiar to some extent with, with the process. Um, I'm the type of person that I like to go into interviews. I would do some minimal, um, practice such as, you know, uh, what are your ways where you organize yourself? Right. And I would just Google like scientific ways that, you know, or, or professional ways that people can organize. So it sounds systematic. Right. Um, or I would, I would research, you know, a little bit about the, um, about the, the company. Um, but the important thing here is that, um, I feel most comfortable when I do the research because that, because it's, it's my effort. It, it's, and I, and I have faith in myself mm. to, to do all these things. When I was encouraged to reach out to this person. Um, I felt I was starting to get a little bit more stress. And I think that that stress was a reminder that I'm not going with my gut anymore. You took away the trust in yourself. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Long story short. Uh, I, the interview ended up going poorly because, um, the what, what ended up happening was the interview board that I was dealing with, um, wanted different things than what, uh, than the advice that I was given. than mm-hmm. what the person, uh, whom I reached out to, uh, offered. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really think that if I would have had gotten with my gut before, then I think it would have been a lot better. But besides the point, uh, but besides that, uh, The important part here that I'm trying to illustrate is that, uh, the anxiety for me in this situation was a reminder that I I need to trust myself more Mm and I need to go with my gut more. Right. So
0: because you didn't do what you, um, intended, your anxiety presented itself Mm -hmm. and you ignored it and went against what your anxiety said. And that didn't work out so well. Exactly. As opposed to now you're telling yourself that when I feel something like this, I need to pay attention to it. It's not a bad thing. It's not something to ignore. Exactly. Good stuff good stuff with uh, most folks when they come in I always give these screeners you know and some scores do you mind if I compare yours when you came in and to your ones most recently I think yesterday Mm -hmm. okay so PHQ 9 um, it scores our severity of depression or a range of depression you scored a 19 when we first met which means moderately severe depression now you're scoring a three the GAD 7 which gives us a range for anxiety, you scored a 15, which is severe anxiety, and now you're scoring a two. And for the PLC, which is um, symptoms of PTSD, you scored an eight, and now you're at a zero. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Um, I think my initial thoughts is I think I made the right decision contacting you in that first day. Okay, <laughs> Um, I appreciate that. <laughs> i i also think that um i th- i think it it shows that um or this is this is one example or this is some evidence that um psilocybin does work and it does work quickly um or psychedelics in general they they work um and i don't am i'm i'm glad i don't uh, i'm glad uh, it doesn't show that i have severe anxiety anymore i definitely feel it i'm glad i don't have severe depression anymore or moderately severe depression because i definitely feel it um and i i i have no regrets in in everything that that i've done in the past few months to, to help treat those what would you tell
0: anyone who was considering um trying psilocybin in a
1: therapeutic environment um Yeah, I, I, I think first and foremost, I would tell them um, know what you're getting into, learn a little bit about what it's trying to do to you and what, uh, how uh, it, it's been shown to, to help um, figure out your goals in it. Mm-hmm. I think goals is probably one of the most important. What are you trying to get out of it? Something specific. Um, because I think that while it does help, you know, I want to get rid of anxiety, you know, I, I went in with specific goals and it just treated the anxiety, uh, along with those specific goals that, that, that I wanted to, to deal with. Mm-hmm. So, um, so the anxiety was the collateral
0: to addressing your intent. Exactly. So for those listening. <laughs> For those i work with before we even start i give them a sheet about how to make an intent and um, they have to ask questions answer questions like why are they doing this what is the purpose what is the outcome and they formulate an intent or mantra to hold the day of um their session or their service um but go ahead sorry
1: because i think if there's if there's a deeper issue um involved it might be a lot easier uh to get at all the, the, the general stuff, the general anxiety, the general depression, right? There, there might be a root of, of the cause for, for all of that. And if you engage the root, you might be able to, you might be able to treat, you know, the whole thing.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Anything for me? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, thanks so much for being here. Oh, no, I have one more thing. See, he's doing it now. When I met this guy, for those of you, he never smiled. Never. I could not get a smile out of this guy. Now he has the most perfect smile and he smiles all the time. Do you notice that? I do notice that. Yeah. I'm so happy that he smile more now. Anyway, I'm being weird. So this is where I'll, I'll leave you. Welcome back. It's great to be here. Thanks for, for joining me.
2: Do you remember, um, when you first came in and we. I do. I do. It's a bit, you know, it's a bit, more hazy because I feel like I was a lot more, uh, dissociated back then. Okay.
0: But I do. You mean dissociated in our interview or just in life? You were kind of, okay. So tell me about the difference, distinguish between the old you and the present you, yeah. what's going on? What are the changes that you've seen?
2: Yeah, I feel like, um, so much of it, uh, at the core is how I see myself, but at the time, I would think it was how I see the world. Hmm. And at that time, like I was very much in a place where, I don't know, it's not like I I did have ideas and plans for myself in the future, but in in an emotional sense, it did feel like I was living from one day to the next. Hmm. And like, A part of that was probably because I just felt so much um, weight um, on myself and on my life. Um, But also so much of that was just, um, I guess, the life that I felt like struggling with understanding or feeling like the life I felt like I deserved and um, that also being a result of the way the lack of love and um that i had for myself um and i think now i think too then actually i want to say more about like the the way my environment played a role i felt like my relationship to my environment was also one where it felt like a wall um and it felt very suffocating um and i felt like from that to now like um i've just been pushing back against that wall um and turning that into what's now like boundaries for myself and like um like a place of not just isolation but solitude um which i think is a very important difference um Mm -hmm. because i think back then in isolation like what i felt was a lot more disconnect like I said, also disassociation from my myself, my body um and because of that as well, like and when you're disassociated, you're you feel very untethered, you don't feel very grounded and um and especially in relation to the you know the people around you as well um, but I feel like within my solitude, as I relate to it now, um I feel a lot more control empowered and more like more like empowered and um peace I feel comfort I feel um I often look around at my space and and see like the little touches I've added and um I am grateful and I thank myself um and it it is self-affirming and from that space like I also feel I can also see the ways that I Don't just feel more connected to myself, but like more connected with those around me. And even within the things that were stressing me in my environment, my relationship with them. I don't know. I feel, I feel again, more of a sense that these aren't just things that are obstacles. These are things that have influenced me and things that I too exert influence on. And within that relationship, those are things that are, malleable things that can be changed um and changed in a way that better suits the life that i want to live and um but yeah and going back to future i also see more of my future and i um find myself more and more like um and especially recently i think uh we talked about this after the last the last journey and i just i just um I do feel more connected to, like, my sense of vision, um, and more of just, like, you know, sitting down and just thinking, um, about a plan in in more concrete terms and a blueprint, um, which I feel like, uh, was something that gave me a lot of anxiety or just, like, paralyzed me a lot, Mm -hmm. um, and... Even when I have those, it's not to say that those feelings don't still come in here and there, but I, I feel like I feel more capable in how I address them and how I, um, I meet them. Mm-hmm. And you say
0: the the old me or a while ago, mean, mm-hmm. those statements, mm-hmm. this was just a couple of months ago, right? Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And. You know, (laughs) it was. Is
0: that crazy to think about?
2: It is. If I really think, like, I feel like life has moved very fast in the last couple of months. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and for the better. um, Yeah, it is very crazy to think about. Would you say that
0: psilocybin was a major contributor to that?
2: Yes, I would absolutely say that I've, if, like if it wasn't for and like more than that i feel like like the way that that was um packaged that journey was packaged through our sessions um was very important for how i just took what was happening in the in the in the the realizations that i felt both during um and applied it to my life i um and i could speak more about uh oh, sure um yeah i feel like um it's kind of interesting uh, cuz my first journey uh was very much about life in the in the beginning of the the cycle of life mm-hmm. and it was very important um for me connecting to myself and and i think the major themes and it was just connecting to my inner child specifically and like um also like within that you know within childhood you know it makes sense is when i think about it now is just so much of just hope you know so much of joy so much of how you see the world with um you know just a certain in a certain light um and also like when i think like the biggest things that plague me um, are when I look at the ways that like I was hurting, and I and I still, you know, experience hurt. It's um my journey of forgiving myself, and especially for the things that I feel I can feel guilty of. And I think the contrast of that being connecting with your inner child is important, also in the ways that um child is is is. Is also a time of what we consider innocence, um, so I I think it was that was very important, and I and you know it was a part of myself that I realized I lost um, in so many ways, um, and also a part of myself that I you know just personally I also thought I I I had to abandon, and I think that's also personally within my journey as a man and, and masculinity and how we uh, identify with a child. Our childishness, our childless, our child, our inner child. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, so that, so coming after that journey, um, how that led into like me, also my understanding of deserving love, and um, how I um, just let myself back into the world and the way that I took up space in the world um, um, became like more more joyful, you know, and, and more um more forgiving. Um and you know, that was a very big switch in terms of my environment too. And and it also came with the ways that I um I was taking accountability then too for my environment and, and the ways that, you know, um I wanted to interact with it.
0: Before you took your first journey, um I scored you, or I took some scores, all right? Um, and I use the PCL, PHQ9, and GAD for anxiety, depression, PTSD. Those I most commonly work with in my practice. Um, do you remember that? I do, I do. Okay. So when you, when we first met, you scored a 33 on the PCL5, which means there's probable, or indication that there's probable. PTSD type symptoms or a diagnosis. And then you also scored a five on the general anxiety disorder screener, and then a 15 on the PHQ-9 for depression. Currently, you're at a zero for the GAD, for anxiety. For the PHQ-9, you're at a four, which would indicate none or minimal. I'm assuming those are probably like stressors or situational things that come up, but would you say that you currently have depressive type symptoms on a regular basis or is it more situational or just life events that come up?
2: Yeah, I would definitely say at this point that things when I, when I think about the things that stress me, it is more situational. Um, uh, Yeah. Recently, you know, I just had some issues, um, health issues within my family and, 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 and some emergencies and some crises among that, that, uh, very close home and very, um, very much have been on my mind. Um, but, um, it's not s- uh, something it's, it's very different from the type of pain I was experiencing from more so like with and N- issues, the emotional pain you were carrying, hey, the emotional pain I was carrying.
1: Yeah.
2: Okay. Okay. Um, uh, and yeah, uh, yeah, in, in comparison too, I, I think it's when I think about it. Like when I did that test then, I wouldn't even call that a bad day, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I started my day-to-day, mm-hmm. I was like, oh man, this is a bad day. Mm. But I by the end of the day, and partially because like I, I was very also mindful and intentional about like just giving myself space to like feel like what I was feeling or acknowledge what I was feeling, process what I was feeling, <laughs> unpack, you know, and kind of think about it. Um, like it, it ended up being like a very good day. Um, and, um, but even still, when I, when I thought it was going to be a bad day and I was thinking about sitting across from you, yeah. I was, I was thinking even still, um, like even this bad day today is better than a day that I, I would just call a normal day mm-hmm. when I first talked and I, and I feel like that speaks volumes.
0: Wow. That, you know? Yeah. 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 Um, so you previously scored the 33 on the PCL. Now you are scoring a 10, which isn't even indicative of anything. Um, but there are some things that you ticked on that screener, um, that I want to get into if that's okay. You certainly can. You scored a 10, not probable of anything. Some of the things you marked off probably could be addressed by behavior, situational, just like uh, other stuff. Um, And if you're ready, we'll go back and talk about it. But what I do want to get into is your first journey. You said that you, when you say you uh, discovered your inner child, you want to, I mean, from start to finish, walk me through. What, What did that look like? I mean, was it an actual you as a child? What images for those who, who, um, haven't experienced or are interested in your your journey can you just give some detail as to what it entailed and and how how it
2: evolved for you that's a good question um i it so it came in a lot of different ways i th- so i feel like from the start of the experience um it started with a sort of sensation. Uh-huh. Um, but I feel like that it's also uh guided too by the simultaneously by the music that I was listening to. Okay. And I think so much of uh that inner child was coming out through um how I was both experiencing the music and engaging with the music. Um and I think also uh with that I, I noticed myself. Um so in, in more specific ways, I guess. I've I felt like just times where like I just was also just uh what i read re- what i identified with that inner child is as a point where i felt myself just opening up my heart and mm. um just letting it in just and with that you know i i just found myself humming you know i found myself at times almost just wanting to sing i found myself feeling very just uh a lot more whimsical than i felt you know in a in a while but also like It did feel more literal, too, um, in a sense where I I felt like I was quite actually beside myself um, and uh, the child version of myself. And I also felt like throughout that, um, because I spent also much of the trip um, just laying on a beanbag Mm -hmm. and just swaddled. You know, like much like a child too and in these covers and um and so, in part i just i felt myself resting um you know much like a child you know just gets to nap <laughs> just during that part of the day um and yeah I've I felt that um again that that beside myself entity through that, and I felt comfort and support and and at times it felt like. Like, almost like we were just, like, giggling together. We were just laughing together. We were, like, even just in— You and your inner child? Yeah. Okay. Just in that space, just mm-hmm. very much just, like, it felt
0: um, at play. Um, and- so you saw yourself as a child? Yeah. I feel like you're hiding a lot. No, I'm joking. <laughs> like A lot. But, I mean, come on. Tell those listening. Were the colors? Did you actually say something to yourself? Was it you at a certain age? Uh, were you here in the office? Were you, what was going on?
2: So. If you're comfortable. No, I don't, I don't have a problem. So I, I, I saw, I saw, and you know, the age I'd say I'd put it at about five. Okay. Five or six. And, um, yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> Um, in terms of that, and again, I feel like in terms of the actual space, um, I felt like at times it was like a cross between like us, like that entity beside me mm-hmm. and then also like me within my own body and us just like swapping who's entering that as a vessel. And so mm-hmm. like feeling like I was looking out through those eyes or like, Looking at yourself as the child. Or like my inner child entering my body. Gotcha. And then looking out from it, you know? Ooh, okay. And so like there's times where like we were beside each other, times where it was just like inside of me. And, you know, it, it was just, it, it, I don't know, it was it was just very much um, also just a part of the play mm-hmm. of it um, where, where we were taking turns and, I think in terms of what I saw too. You know, actually I feel like and I think this also goes into the um the way that I I mostly spent it Swaddled, I feel like it was definitely more auditory um than visual because I I remember the the biggest visual that I do remember happened while I was just using the bathroom <laughs> and I was looking at this this painting Um, that you had and, um, it's in this beautiful, I don't, I I don't want to mispronounce a genre. I don't know if it's impressionist or Mm -hmm. something of the sort in these brushstrokes. And I just, um, I also loved the way it felt very nostalgic and the way that I saw it, like it was also just moving, swaying, um, and in that sense, it also felt like I was on a boat. Um, but I think beyond that, um, so much of it was more in the feeling and in the, um, in that manifestation
0: uh, of the inner channel. Okay. Did you both speak
2: to each other? We did. We did. Um, and yeah, I, I so I f- feel like one of the quotes that came from that where was, um. well I guess after seeing that was wanting to be a source of light and just wanting to be a better better connect with that
0: your inner child told you you should be a source of light
2: I well I feel like it was seeing it as a source of light gotcha and then me knowing that I wanted to embody that more mm. in my vessel you know I didn't want it to um I didn't want it to leave. Source of life for others, for yourself? Both. Primarily, um, that light is within myself. So um, I wanted to keep that within myself, but that radiates outward from oneself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yeah, I just, I also uh, just remember the, like uh, the the difference in perspectives. Like I remember just talking about a certain experience where I was just at a concert and I felt like I was um, recently right before that journey. And I remember being there and I'm a pretty tall person and uh, I happened to accompany a friend. And so she's not a very tall person. And so we go to the front of the stage and I remember at the time, you know, like I just felt like very out of place with what I would normally do, which is just stand more in the back where I could see, everybody can see. Um, and I just remember feeling like very awkward and uncomfortable in that space at the time. And just, uh, um, and it wasn't, um, you know, until, um, also just it coming back to me and during the journey that I also remember like points where, you know, it later in the concert where you know, they're, they're passing back water, you know, trying to get it to places and like looking around, seeing it only get so far as like two rows up front and <laughs> looking back, seeing people dying and, 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 um, sweating because it's packed and hot. And, and, um, I remember positioning myself so I can, you know, after, of course, my people were <laughs> well, well quenched, uh, reaching back and, uh, allowing other people to get water, you know, and, um I remember just the difference of just seeing myself then as like um a bridge or as um someone that was in a place to do something good um and then in the same vein I remember like at different points at the concert there were people that were coming that you know, we we're getting to know and they had friends coming that were coming late and they couldn't find their way to us, you know? And I just remember being able to, uh, stick up my hand from the front and, uh, in moments they were able to find me cause I'd find the whole group. And in that sense too, like, I remember the thought of just feeling like a lighthouse, you know, um, Pat is just able to send a beacon to those wayward ships, you know, and bringing them to safety, to shore, to, um, to people. Um, and I felt like those sorts of perspective changes, um, and how I view myself and how I view myself in a space that might originally feel incongruent, um, was very important for like the ways in which I, um, just felt in space after that moment, just felt in any space, and how I, I, I allowed myself to take up space um, after that journey. and Yeah, I, I, both those were very much just, again, I fell in part just seeing the world instead through the perspective of my inner child.
0: Tell me about your second journey. So, <clears throat> for those of you who are listening, Um, we've had two sessions total. And in between, we uh, meet and discuss some of the topics that came up or the themes that were present and then how we can integrate those themes or remind ourselves about some of the messages or um, unpacking or or processing of traumas or whatever that might be um, through for the rest of your time. So you know, we have that inner child experience. We talk about inner child and what those messages, obviously there were more, but we're not going to get into all of them today. And I kind of write down some of the things that come up during the session. And then I give those who I'm working with those notes um, so they can reflect back on some of the things they said, some of the processes they went through, places, they, people they saw, communications they had, and then and then we discuss it later. So... Lots of times, uh, journeys are are, are completely different. Would you say yours was? Your first and second?
2: Uh, Completely. Um, Day and night, I'd even say life and death. Oh, wow. Oh, right. Yes, because
0: now I'm remembering. (laughs) I'm going to bring up that question later. But tell me about your second journey.
2: Yeah, so uh, whereas the first journey brought me closer to birth in terms of like my inner child, uh, the second journey... Uh, took me all the way to the other end of the spectrum to death um, because I felt like I was dying. And, um, you know, I also was, felt myself die and, and multiple times. Um, and I think after the first one, um, you know, the first one happened and then the, everyone after that felt like a choice and uh, one of those kind of splitting past sort of way um but it was it was even within that it was kind of like you're being shuttled along and if you don't choose life you will choose death um, so give that to me again yeah so it, it felt like like uh I, the best way i can think about it is like an arcade game mm-hmm. where it's just like it's the final hit, and you see that game over countdown, and there's the ten, the nine, the eight, and and in that point, it's like play again, put in another quarter. Um, and you chose to play again. No, <laughs> I'm at each at each point, actually, if it either counted down, and I allowed it to, or. Yeah, I just I, I I willfully it was either paralysis or I willfully accepted it as as death, uh, and you know that that happened again and again until, um, at the, the final point where I was just dead and 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 yet still still there <laughs> in this conscious space, in one conscious space and just just almost just trying to make sense of who and, and what I do now after death. And I remember asking you, what does one do after, after death? Yeah, So I would assume that's when you stop dying.
0: Yeah. That was the finale of it. Yeah. And you turned to me and you said, yeah, as you mm-hmm. just mentioned, what does one do after death? Do you remember what I said?
2: I remember the sentiment of whatever they like. (laughs) Exactly. Whatever you like. Yeah.
0: Was that, um, in the moment, I'll tell you as a therapist, you know, we train for these things. I was in a year long training for it. Um, and we always worry that we say or do the right thing to the best support, um, that we always support those we're working with. So I, was a little nervous about it, but I, just knowing our work together, I felt like that's what you needed to hear. And for me, uh, as an outsider looking in, or looking at you, it seemed like you were really relieved after I said that. Were you?
2: I was. I, I, so I feel like in that moment, that was. I, I think that was actually exactly what I needed to hear. Because I think at that point, if you had given me a specific task or a specific role. I felt like the, there would have been just a rush of just the pressure of expectations or like, uh, I rushed too quick into like what I should be or what I should be doing. Um, and I feel like, um, you saying that felt like I just, um, I, I just felt just able to just be and just really just sit with that and, and really take the time to, feel what it is that I wanted and what it is I liked and um, instead of what it is I should be. Mm
0: -hmm. Um, Paying more attention to who you are and what you want to be as opposed to what society said you should be? What, what, What do you mean?
2: Yeah, in part society, in part family, in part my own sort of um negative voice. Negative voice. Yeah. So did we talk
0: much about ego death before before it happened? Yeah. Or I, I I would classify that as ego death. Would you would you say what you experienced was ego death? I would.
2: I'm thinking <laughs> I would. Um and if that if that was it, I don't want to it, <laughs> it it is. I certainly die.
0: So, so, for those of you who are listening, ego death, also known as ego dis- dissolution, ego death, also known as ego dissolution, is a term used in various contexts to denote a profound psychological state where one's sense of self-identity breaks down and once one feels deeply connected to all living things, past and present. This psychological state can result in feelings of unity, connectedness, and the transcendence of one's ordinary sense of self. In the context of using in the context of using psilocybin, individuals may experience ego death as a part of their trip or their journey. Psilocybin has the ability to significantly alter perception, thoughts, and feelings, leading to experiences that are often described as mystical or spiritual. During ego death caused by psilocybin, one might lose a sense of personal identity as if they are merging with their surroundings, the universe, or some greater entity or consciousness within themselves. This can result in a shift in the perspective that allows individuals to see themselves and the world in a new light, often causing them to reevaluate their values, beliefs, and behaviors.
2: Does that sound like what you experienced? Definitely. Um, definitely. uh I definitely felt, um, and especially when I look back, like I was just leaving so much of um, myself, literally, tangibly, and 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 um, just my life just behind. And it, it was almost like I I remember at different points it was almost a visual of me just I was seeing not necessarily a. Uh, my life flashed before my eyes, but like almost as though like just seeing my life as a picture that I'm, Mm -hmm. that I was just like waving at or like seeing me go further and further away. And, um, as each time as I, as I was in death, all right. I (laughs) fell to death. Mm -hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I also, when I look at that, um, I also see that is the way that I was really just leaving a lot of how I define my life and and a lot of the ways that I perspective that I saw in my life and I think it's um, again that's leaving that as a picture it's a still you know I feel like it also
0: um, so when you say
2: leaving that picture or that old life that's like
0: your old way of being
2: is what you mean? Yeah. My old way of living my old way of being Mm -hmm. and, and the perceptions of, of that being, um,
0: yeah. Okay. For those of you who are listening, it is important to note that ego death can be a frightening and disorienting experience for some people. Moreover, the consumption of psilocybin is illegal in many jurisdictions and can have unpredictable and potentially harmful psychological effects, especially for individuals with pre-existing mental health conditions. Therefore, it should not be undertaken without careful consideration and guidance. During that experience where you're dying multiple times or, or in that final time, was it disorienting and frightening?
2: Very. Oh my God, it was incredibly. Like, I remember at some point, and it was also just very much registered in my body. Like I just remember my heart beating. Like I just remember like sweating. I remember just truly feeling it's like like it was it was like it almost as though it was eighteen hundreds physically. And I had the influenza, you know. Like I just I felt um yeah like my like my body was just grinding to a halt um, in a lot of ways. And it was very very scary. Um, and the fact that it have every time it would happen um uh it was no less scary <laughs> mm-hmm. um and i don't know like i i just remember in a almost in a very literal sense too like i just like the in the beginning i was just like oh my god like <laughs> god. like i just remember like in the first point like i was just thinking like i'm 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 actually i'm dying here i'm about to die here this is gonna look so bad uh, <laughs> on Dr. Lewis. They're gonna find me here in the office, it's over. And then like those, all those thoughts kind of separated more and more and I just, it just became just, um, you know, more in the life I was leaving. But um, it, it was, it was very, it felt very shrill and tangible in that sense. Was it worth it? Definitely, I think it was necessary it was necessary. I think it was very much necessary. Tell me more. Um, I feel like if I hadn't experienced death in such a very real and raw way, um, both physically, mentally. Well,
0: for those of you listening, he didn't actually die. Okay. Our brain convinces us. There has been no reported incidences of psilocybin leading to someone's cause of death. Now, when it is done or used recreationally or recklessly, yes, there are incidences that occur while someone is under the the, the substance. But psilocybin itself has not been reported to to cause anyone's death. So, as your ego dissolved, yeah, um, <laughs> well... you emotionally felt like you were shedding yourself,
2: yeah, and you know it's something I do have to remember because of the way it felt. Oh, Um, But yeah, as my ego dissolved, I felt, I feel like it allowed me, and especially, I think, again, just like you said, just the moment after, um, where I, I think so much that needed to happen for me to ask the question that I asked, which was what I do after death and, and to hear the answer that I heard. And I feel like that was. again it was a point where it felt in a sense like a new lease of life um but what it led to after that point um was me being able to then because i i was able to embrace and turn towards death like also just be able to turn back again towards life and and the value that it has i think sometimes again it's like the way that you know they say contrast is so important and you know they say um you know light without darkness is blinding and darkness without light is an abyss and um i feel like i appreciate that abyss <laughs> because now i feel like i can again just very much embrace light and and also become a source for that light um in a way that still honors that darkness nice what was it the- was
0: the ego dissolution the most difficult part of your journeys or did something what what would you say was the most difficult thing to or difficult aspect
2: i you know I would say it was because it was so unexpected mm-hmm. I was when I went in I was ready to see that child again I was ready to I thought I was ready to play mm-hmm. I, was, I was ready to um and, and it, you know, still in a lot of ways, I, I took it as a very serious endeavor and I knew anything could happen, but I just, I wasn't expecting it to just, um, yeah, I just wasn't expecting it to take that turn. So I, 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 I can't think of anything, uh, more difficult than that part. What helped? Um, I say a few different things, um, I'd say, in part the space um being where I was uh, again, I was very even though physically in a lot of ways, I felt like my body was shutting down mm-hmm. and I, I i was still in a place I was comfortable that I felt um safe in um you were there, you know, and even still, it's just like, um even if you're dying, it's there's something in uh ego dying <laughs> there's something in being like I'm not dying. <laughs> And, um, I think just the way that, um, um, you did, you know, ask me questions here and there and, 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 and and cared for me. Um, but I think also beyond that internally, um, it was just a process of that, um, acceptance. Um, and, you know, there was definitely a part towards the middle I was just like I just want this Uh, stop I don't I don't want to go through this anymore but I feel like um, at the same time like uh, there was also still just a lot of um, too. also what the thoughts that I was having during um, that allowed me to also accept like what it was um, showing me and and teaching me in certain senses because I just um I remember another thing that I said at the time was just, um, just wanting back all the pieces of me mm-hmm. uh, and, um, so that we could rest, um, in peace. And,
0: uh, so you wanted all of those pieces of you, even the pieces that were hard to carry.
2: Yes. Yes. And, you know, I feel like, uh, that's a part of also, uh, I guess, honoring the ego death of it. It mm-hmm. you know, it's just at the end of the day, I, I it's all you, it is me, you know, and I didn't, I actually didn't even, you know, um, I didn't consider that until you really said it just now, but, um, I think about it uh, in terms that way, but, uh, it was there and feeling for mm-hmm. sure. And, um, yeah, it was important. Um, because I think above all else, I just wanted, I, I wanted it to, I wanted to take ownership over it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wanted, after that, to remove any ownership that I felt others had, any possession others, I had given others of it. Um, of what? Your pain? Those pieces of me. Those pieces part, of heart. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, the pain that was attached. Um, what
0: was the most beneficial aspect of your journeys?
2: i'd say perspective um i'd say perspective and the, and the value of that perspective i think it, it they both took me to extreme places that was um mm-hmm. you know um that i feel like allowed me afterwards to reevaluate the things that were important to me the things that I value the things that I want to be and and also just how I related to myself and the way that I um, saw myself the way that I love myself Hmm.
0: is there anything you regret? Uh, just
2: No, I can't, I can't, I can't think of anything that stands out. Um, cause I, I, I know, um, I know also part of, um, that second journey, uh, was kind of, uh, in part triggered by the fact that, and I think the reason that I was kind of primed to already think about my death is because of the ways that like, in the real world my environment was impacting certain habits and specifically like in terms of my the way i took care of myself in terms of my diet and like um it was something where like i was feeling the effects of like those habits on my body and i was starting to see like tangible proof of the harm that it was doing because um again at the basis like of the habits I formed because I also allowed um or believed that it, that my environment had that control over me and that I I you know I, I I didn't have much choice. Um so I think again the beneficial part of that was a lot like a wake up call where it was just um being able to see and reevaluate those habits and then and, and, and begin to form um, better ones. Okay.
0: What would you say to someone who is considering the use of psilocybin in a therapeutic environment?
2: First, um, if that isn't guaranteed in the space, be sure that you feel comfortable and supported Um, and trust um, your therapist and secondly for yourself um, I would say um, just be open and to seeing yourself and parts of yourself that um, you may not have seen in a while or parts of yourself that you may have been hiding from mm. um just be uh willing to trust the experience and through that trust yourself um as a part of that and mm-hmm. yeah um I think intention is also very important. Setting your intent. Setting your intention, yep. yeah. Like I'd say treat it very Um, take it very seriously very meditatively um, in the way that you approach it and and sit with it um, before you begin and I think you know that's important to the ways in which you bring yourself back and um, yeah and ground yourself um, during. thank you you have anything for me uh, you know, I I voiced it multiple times, but um, I am very very uh appreciative for support that you've given me through this experience, both within therapy and all that we've uh, talked about, um, and within our my journeys. Um, again, just to personally just to hear you uh repeat back like where I was and and where I am now in these um quantitative ways mm-hmm. and, you know in these tangible concrete ways it, it it you know I already felt it in feeling just a sense of um gratitude and just feeling um blessed to be um where I am um but yeah I I can't help but express it again thank you um, thank you for having me. Thank you. I appreciate
0: it. and all the work you're doing for yourself. It makes my job easy. It means a lot. You've been listening to the After Session with Philip Lewis. I hope this time has been beneficial to you in some way. If you like some of the topics discussed, you can visit lewiscounseling.org and click on the After Session, or follow me on Instagram at the After Session underscore. If you are interested in starting your therapeutic process or engaging. In a protocol or technique referenced, please make sure you contact your mental health or medical provider. This podcast has been produced by Logan Wesley. You can follow Logan at onelawmusic.com or on Instagram at the number one LAW underscore music. Thanks for listening. Be good to yourself.